That's that's a lot. So, um, so before I read the text today, I just want to pray. It's been about a year since we had the uh, initial lockdown. I remember uh, driving back from North Carolina and uh, hearing from people that they uh, that last Sunday before we stopped that um, you know it was time to kind of shut things down, didn't really know what we were facing. So it's been a year. Uh, there were folks at the early service that I haven't seen in a year. Um, so uh, there's much for us to, to think uh, about. Um, lots been lost this last year. Uh, lots been gained. Um, I think we should remember that, but I think the thing that we should remember most of all is that God has seen us through this uh, past year, and uh, though the pandemic is not fully complete, I think we can say we are grateful that God has brought us this far. You know, a year later, uh, as the hymn writer says, we raise an Ebenezer here, you know, we pile up some rocks and we say, God's brought us this far. Uh, and because of that, we trust him to bring us the rest of the way home. I think that would be a, a good thing uh, for us to do. Uh, and I think, too, it would also be a good thing for us to uh, uh, be grateful and be made mindful, as we'll see in this text, and um, as we celebrate the supper today, uh, to be grateful for the local expression of the body of Christ, for uh, the church uh, for God's people to be able to be uh, in fellowship with one another. I hope that has become more dear to you. Uh, it certainly has to me uh, in the last year. So in light of those things, let me pray and then we'll uh, look at uh, this text. Lord, as we come to you today, uh, well, what a year it has been. Uh, and I thank you that you have uh, been with us. Some of us have been really sick. Some of us have lost a lot. Uh, some of us are um, still struggling, uh, and yet, Lord, you have seen us through to this point. I pray that you would give us grace to trust you with uh, the coming days and months. pray that you would uh, continue to protect us, to give us what we need to follow you, to trust you, uh, to remember your goodness. Uh, would you do that? Lord, we uh, pray today for those uh, who... Uh, well, just the trauma of the last year weighs heavily upon them. Uh, would you be their healer, their protector? Would you be their shepherd? And so now, Lord, as we look at this text about doing hard things, we pray that you would uh, encourage our hearts, remind us of the gospel, and uh, open us uh, to uh, your work uh, in and through us. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 1, this is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Uh, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So this is, uh, I just want to take a look at just this one verse uh, today because there's so much in this. So when you read this verse, if you're like most people, what you do is, and Nate, you can put my notes up there, is you lock in on the thing that you're supposed to do, right? Stand firm. That's what we, that's what we 
we, we take away from this. And it probably if, if you've been trained to do Bible study and that kind of stuff, you think, you know, look for the verbs, right? Look for the things to do, right? And so, so that, that is exactly what uh, Paul uh, uh, would like us to do. But I think if we lock in just on that, which we're going to spend some time on that, uh, but if we lock in just on that, we miss the bigger picture of what Paul's doing uh, in, in this text, right? And so uh, as he says here, he wants us to stand firm. He's looking backwards and he's looking forward. So up in, 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 verses, uh, in, the, in the verses preceding this, he's told us how to do this. Now, one of the things that you have to see about this language of standing firm, to stand firm uh, is a military term. It doesn't mean that we're moving. It doesn't mean that we're retreating. It means simply that Jesus has gained so much for us. Jesus has done all of these things for us, enabled us to be his people, that he has given us these, these great gifts. He's done these wonderful things. He's given us each other. So just stand in that. Just recognize that that is your identity, that is who you are, that is what Jesus has, has done for you. And so in the midst of a world and, and the, internally the, the things that rage against the Spirit, here's what we do. We just stand right where we are in the identity and in the work that Jesus Christ has for us. And so he's going to, as he says this, he's going to look back to the things that he has written, and he's going to look forward to the things that he's going to tell the church uh, and, at Philippi for, uh, for them to, to look forward, things that they, they need to be busy about, right? So what are things that he wants us to stand firm in? Paul has said in chapter 3 that we have a righteousness, not our own. It, the, the temptation that every one of us has is to find our righteousness in something else, to find our righteousness in our performance, to find our righteousness in our gifts, to find our righteousness in our appearance, to find our righteousness in our achievements, to find our righteousness in the fact that we're better than other people. Right? And so what he wants to say is, no, when all of those things come at you to tempt you to find righteousness in anything else, or tempt you to think that you have no righteousness, stand firm in the reality that at the heart of the gospel, at the heart of the work of Jesus Christ, is that he has given you his righteousness. That it is imputed to your account. That not only do you have the death of Jesus Christ counting for you, but you have the life of obedience of Jesus Christ counting for you. And so the fullness of what Jesus did in obeying and keeping the law perfectly is now yours. So all of those temptations, all of those things that would come against you, the remaining sin that you struggle with, the remaining brokenness that you struggle with, the, the, the reality you're standing before God today is that you have the full righteousness of Jesus Christ. You can't get any more righteousness. righteousness. You can't get any more right with God if you're in Jesus Christ today. If you are, if, that, that, that standing is fixed and it is eternal, and it is set. So, so stand firm in that. Don't seek your righteousness in anything else, and don't believe the lie that somehow or other God's righteousness is less than full and free for you. Stand firm in that. Secondly, he wants us to hope in the power of the resurrection. He wants to know the power of the resurrection in his life. At the heart of the gospel at the heart of, the, of the, the life of the church, at the heart of the life of the believer is the foundational truth that our God raises the dead. Our God raises the dead. 
In fact, if Jesus Christ is not alive, then we are wasting our time. This is a mess. This is, we, we have no forgiveness of sins. We have no righteousness. We have nothing. If Jesus Christ is still dead, we are still dead. If Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead, you are still dead in your sins and trespasses without hope in the world. There's no way to get out from under the curse of sin and, uh, of, of sin and the law and the death that follows from that. But because Jesus Christ is alive, as Paul has told us here, we stand firm in that. We know that this world that the, the, is under the thrall of sin and death, Jesus is rolling that back. But what we look forward to is the, the reality of the life of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead being ours. We entrust ourselves to that. We look for that. We look for the resurrection of the dead. We anticipate that. And so though we live in, in a world full of death, we know that death is not the final word. We speak of death as being so final. But we long to see and to entrust ourselves to the very power of the resurrection. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us. Jesus Christ is alive. That's our hope. And that uh, validates his sacrifice. That validates his life. That validates his work for us. We strain toward the future. Paul has said that he forgets what's uh, uh, behind. And to stand firm means to strain forward to the future. We believe the lie that so much tells us that, that our past is so determinative. That whatever has happened to you or whatever you have done disqualifies you from certain blessing. That somehow or other, that the work of the gospel, the work of the Spirit, is powerless against things that you have done or things that have been done to you. And while we may bear scars into our graves, the reality is that the, that the work of Jesus Christ, the work of the gospel, uh, opens up a future to us. We are not condemned uh, by our past, and we're not condemned simply to be victims of our past. Our past has, an, it has, has a marker upon us, but it is not determinative of our future. We give it too much power in our lives to say that because this happened to me, I can never have joy. I can never experience freedom, right? But the truth is that, that what we recognize is, is that the gospel orients us towards the present work of God in our lives now, knowing uh, what the future holds, that it's in God's hands, and that it is a future of blessing and healing and grace to us. Next slide, Nate. We believe that Jesus will come again, and we stand firm in that. And what that tells us is, is that the world in which we live, the suffering that we experience here and now, is only temporary. That our hope is rooted not in just somehow or other improving our lives or improving the lives of people around us, as good as that may be. That our hope, our blessed hope, is that Jesus is, is, will come again. And that when Jesus comes again, all of the suffering, all of the death, all of the sin won't even be a memory. It'll be done away with once and for all. And we will live perfectly redeemed, restored, renewed lives forever and ever. That Jesus is coming so that his righteousness will cover this planet like the water covers the sea. 
That that is what we, we long for, and we live in that. So stand firm in the reality that we look for Jesus Christ to come again and to rule this planet in actuality in, in, from his throne in perfect righteousness and grace and power forever and ever. We stand firm in that. And that shapes the way we think about our lives now. That shapes the way we think about our ministry. That shapes the way we think about each other, right? He is telling the church also, as we will see coming uh, in, in future weeks, that to stand firm in resolving our conflicts, the very next verse, he's going to call out Euodia and Seneca to resolve their conflict. How would it be to be sitting in church and have the letter from Paul read and to hear your name and that person you can't get along with read out loud in front of the whole church and told to resolve your conflict. Yeah, Beth, you're right. You'd crawl under the pew, you know? Oh, my goodness, right? What a crazy thing. Well, you know, the, the reality is as long as there have been churches, as long as there have been Christians, there have been conflicts in the church. I don't like the color of the carpet. I don't like the width of the pastor's tie. I've saved you that conflict. I don't like... You know, I don't like that person. I don't like the way they do that. They rub me the wrong way. I don't like their politics. I don't, I don't like the way they spend their money. I, you know, I don't. So Paul doesn't say to them, you know, that, that, that he, he urges, as we'll see, that standing firm also means we do the hard work of loving one another. We do the hard work of forbearing with one another. We do the hard work of rebuking one another and forgiving one another. And we do the hard work of being together. We do the hard work of being together. One of the things that I think we have yet to see and that we will see in coming years is uh, a lot of people have been traumatized this, this past year. And one of the things that I know about trauma, I don't know much about it, but this much I do know, you can be traumatized in 2020 from the pandemic and it not manifest itself for years to come. And that we will struggle, I'm sure, to see how that's going to manifest itself and how we will resolve our conflicts with one another, how we'll forbear with one another, how we'll forgive one another, how we'll learn to encourage and love one another, even as we fail. But here's what I want you to see about this. Standing firm in this is hard. But what I want you to see that's even more important than Paul's command to stand firm is how he tells us to do this. Look at what he says. He calls us his brothers whom he loves and longs for, his joy and his crown and his beloved. You see, I, I think that's something pretty profound. That, that what, what a picture of that, right? His brothers and sisters, people that are in his same family, people that he loves, that he feels in his gut and in his heart, his affection towards them, that he longs to be with them and longs to be seen by them, that his joy and his crown, and that, that crown there refers to the, uh, uh, not, not a king's crown, but the, the, the crown of celebration and the crown of victory. When Paul looks at these people, even though 
that he has to urge them to stand firm, and even though he has to urge them to resolve their conflict, he delights in them. They are dear to him. They, they, they matter to him. And so he is going to motivate them to do hard things, like standing firm and all of this, resolving their conflicts, but he's going to motivate them through love. You're my brothers and sisters. You're my crown and joy. You're my beloved. That's why I'm telling you, and that's, that's how he's motivating us to do hard things. Love is the most motivate, powerful motivating force in the world. Now, I know we don't believe that. You think it's a powerful motivating force, but you like some fear thrown in there as well, right? You like some, you like some uh, consequences thrown in there as well, right? Well, you know, the Lord says, you know, there's discipline, certainly, but only for those he loves, right? He disciplines those he loves. It's, we will tend to motivate people by guilt. That's a big one, right? Manipulate people by, uh, to get them to do what we want to do. But Paul's urging here his motivation to obedience, his motivation to do hard things comes from love. He loves. He loves these people. He reminds them that he loves them. And as he reminds them that he loves them, he calls on them to do hard things. I am motivated by the fear of failure. You know, you, your love is good. That's good. But I value not failing way more than I do love in my personal life. Someone said to me the other day when I said, you know, Marty's retiring and they said, well, you know, what's been your strategy to get prepared for retirement financially? And I said, fear. <laughs> fear fear is, a, is, a, is a great planner, you know. I'm afraid of having nothing. I'm afraid of, you know, uh, uh, you know buying cat food one day to eat, you know, that kind of stuff. I, those things are very real and vivid to me, and so that motivates me. <laughs> that motivates me a lot. And, and not only that, but maybe somebody might see me in the grocery store buying cat food, and anybody who knows me knows I hate cats, and the only reason why I'd be buying cat food is so I could have something to eat, right? You know, I, I live in that world. That, that seems to motivate me. That's like, you know, better, better not spend that money on that. You, might, you, you never know. You might be having to eat cat food someday, right? So don't spend. Don't do that, right? So we, we do that all the time, or we, we motivate one another by the fear of disappointment. Oh, I might disappoint this person, or the worst thing that someone could come and say to us is, oh, I'm so disappointed in you. And so we, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be motivated to, to do anything in the world to avoid that. Now, sometimes, sometimes there's, those motivations play a role in, in our lives, and, and maybe it's appropriate, but I do know this, that Paul is demonstrating to us here today, those of us who are leaders, parents, friends, lovers, that uh, to do, to call on others that we know and love our love for them must be the power that motivates us to challenge them. 
You see, one of the things that we recognize here is, as we come to the table of the Lord, is that the, the, as, as the Lord gives us this bread and this cup, he is reminding us of his love for us. And that love for us, that the fact that we are his brothers and sisters, that we belong to him, that we are his beloved, that we are the Lord's crown and joy, motivates us, energizes us to do the hard thing of standing firm. That's what we entrust ourselves to, and that's, that's, what we, that's, that's the nature of the gospel. You see, that's the wonder of what God has done, because God loves us so much, and that love and that care, that commitment, that, that brotherhood, that crown and joy, that belovedness that, we, that he has for us precedes everything about us, precedes our behavior, precedes our obedience, precedes all of that. The fact that he loves us because he loves us changes everything about what we do. So friends, as you, as you are motivated today, are, are you motivated to stand firm because Jesus Christ loves you, that you're his beloved, that when he looks at you, he delights in you. When he looks at you, he sees perfect righteousness. When he looks at you, even when he rebukes your sin, he does it because you are so dear to him. You matter. You matter to him. He sees you. He is for you. He is with you. And let that love be the thing that motivates us as we challenge, as we rebuke, as we forgive, as we live with one another. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, we thank you today for this picture that we see in your scripture of uh, this one, uh, this apostle who had a heart for his people. He longed for them. He loved them. Uh, he, uh, they were dear to him. Lord, I pray that you would help us trust your love to motivate change, to motivate faithfulness. I pray today, Lord, that uh, as we uh, uh, seek uh, the power from you to stand firm, that you would remind us over and over again as we fail as we struggle, that you are for us, that you love us, that you have given us everything we need to follow you, uh, to see you, to trust you. Would you do that? Lord, when we've been tempted to uh, be motivated or to motivate others out of fear or anger, I pray that you would forgive us of that and uh, captivate us again by your affection, your big heart your people. Would you do that? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It's sweet today to be able to read uh, the words of institutions. First time we've taken the Lord's Supper this year. That's, that's right, isn't it? Oh, yes, yeah, the second time. We did it at Ash Wednesday. It's the first time on a Sunday morning. Uh, so uh, that... Uh, this is going to be the first time most of you have taken the Lord's Supper this year, so uh, that's uh, uh, it's a great thing for us to be reminded today of the Lord's love. Uh, hear these uh, words of institution. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. When the hour came, 
Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Let's uh, confess our sins together. Almighty and merciful Father, you called us to be your desired followers and made us one family. Yet we have not lived as one. We have not loved you and one another as you command. Gripped by selfish ambition, we fail to love and long for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Blinded by conceit, we seek our own glory and fail to count others as our joy and crown. Twisted by pride, we stumble and seek to control you, the Lord. Forgive us for our sins against you. Go on to subdue everything in us that is contrary to your heart and purposes. By the power of your Spirit, renew us as a church that is eager to do your will and walk in your ways through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Christian, hear these words of encouragement. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us.